From app.com, it's time to talk college hoops in the Garden State. Welcome to Jersey Jump Shot. And welcome back to Jersey Jump Shot. Ryan Ross here with Jerry Carino, Steve Edelson, and Chris Eisman recapping another week of college hoops in the Garden State. A little bit of an up and down week for our New Jersey college teams. Rutgers, they're the big story. They have a big bounce back win, 81-57 over Wake Forest this past Saturday. Seton Hall, they win over Drexel, lose at home to Providence. Uh, Princeton, two losses this week to Iona and Delaware. Monmouth, two losses as well to Syracuse and Charlotte. NJIT with a win over Niagara. FDU loses to Richmond. St. Peter's with two wins over Hartford and Quinnipiac. Ryder continues to win as well. Three in a row for Ryder. And Seton Hall women, how about them? They've won seven in a row. They have UConn coming up on Wednesday, number nine ranked UConn. So uh, a back and forth week, a little bit of a light week coming up as well with the holidays approaching for these teams. But as we look at the results from this past week, Jerry, why don't we start with the Scarlet Knights with a, with a statement, emphatic win over Wake Forest, kind of exercising the demons of the previous week. And the big thing I want to emphasize is sort of the overarching theme, I think, for for college basketball fans this time of year, guys, is that it's a long season, right? The season's got a lot of twists and turns. Uh, It's not college football or the NFL where you're going to live and die on one game. Uh, That's not the way it is here. It's, you know, a week ago, Rutgers was hurting. They had lost two games in a row. They had dropped a home game to Seton Hall as a big favorite. Uh, Seton Hall was was riding high. They went they went in and won at Rutgers uh, as a surprise. And then, you know, a week later, the worm turns. Right. And a lot of that is dependent on the schedule. Rutgers gets a week off and they and they get a much needed win, not just a win, but a hammering of Wake Forest. And then Seton Hall, you know, gets a big East home opener and blows a nine point lead to Providence. So so you get a lot of feedback from fans this time of year when. Uh, the win is that everything's going to be great. Let's book our final four tickets and the losses. You know, we're done. We're having a losing season. Clear out the coaching staff. I'm only, I'm only exaggerating a little bit, guys. But it's a long season with a lot of twists and turns. So this week's twist for Rutgers, and Chris, you were there, so you can break it down for us. This week's twist for Rutgers was a get-right game against the right opponent in that Rutgers, you know, they had to take it out on somebody, right? In comes Wake Forest. Uh, not a not a really good defensive team. Not a not a hard hat team. You got to bring your hard hat to beat Rutgers, especially yeah. if it's that way. And then, you know, Wake Forest comes in and gets the anvil dropped on them. So if you're soft, get get that stuff out of here, right, Chris? And that's that's what unfolded in Piscataway Saturday. Yeah, no doubt. And and you kind of touched on it, obviously. But you know, we and we talked about it on the last show. How is Rutgers going to respond to everything that's happened? And you know, were they going to come back and kind of right themselves and and kind of be the team that I think that they're capable of? And that's what they did. You know, I mean, they came out, they played their brand of defense, which has been really good all year, um, you know, forcing 22 turnovers, getting 14 steals. Um, they completely disrupted Wake Forest's offense. And then on the offensive end, they were very balanced. You know, they had five score or five scores in double figures. They shot 58.5%, their best mark since since 2019. Um, Caleb McConnell had, a, had another really good game. Cam Spencer stepped up. Um, so, I mean, I think it was, you know, if Rutgers could kind of bottle up that recipe, I think that they would like to carry that you know, through a lot of that, that Big Ten schedule that they have coming up, that gauntlet. Um, so it was definitely, you know, I, I think, as you said, Jerry, it was a statement game. It was a win that they needed. And, and they, and you know, the other thing, too, the big question was, was Tyree Appleby, uh, Wake Forest's leading scorer, was he going to play? Well, you know, because of the ankle injury he suffered a few days earlier against Appalachian State. Before the game, he was going through warm-ups, looked good. He ends up starting and really wasn't much of a factor. Caleb McConnell and, and really did a, the bulk of the work, um, you know, defending him. Uh, Rutgers really took him out of the game. He scored 10 points, really wasn't much of a factor. So, 
again, overall, you know, a really solid all-around performance for Rutgers and, and just the type of games they needed. What we're seeing from Rutgers is when basically you know, the style of opponent is important, right? If Rutgers is going to play a team that wants to street fight it out with them, then that team is going to be in the game with Rutgers. If Rutgers is going to play somebody who, you know, is soft or not aggressive or just not flat out, not tough, then they're going to get, they're going to get punched in the throat and they're going to wilt. I mean, that's, that's Indiana. That's Wake Forest. I don't care how many points they score against somebody else. You come into Piscataway. If you're soft, you're going to wilt. And so, you know, if you're not, then you're going to have a game. That's, that's what we're seeing out of Rutgers. Uh, Stepping back and looking at Rutgers resume, uh, you know, they, they got two more non-conference games. They should roll up with no problem. They need to wait for us because they have one, it's one decent non-conference win. I don't know how what that'll look like at the end of the season. You know, Rutgers fans should be rooting for Wake Forest in the ACC. I don't know if Wake's gonna gonna be a factor. We'll see. Uh, so Rutgers did get one decent non-conference win. They they did not get a win at a conference away from home, and so. They're going to have to make up for that in Big Ten play. They'll have plenty of chances, but like similar to past years with Rutgers, they're going to have to do the work in conference because they didn't really do it at a conference. But as you saw Saturday, Rutgers is capable of, of doing those things. Yeah, absolutely. And we kind of mentioned this last podcast, Chris, but uh, you know the, the week in between, they had that tough emotional loss at home to Seton Hall. They don't have any games during the week. And then they had this game Saturday against Wake Forest. It was an opportunity for them to, to number one, rest. And, and number two, kind of just refocus and get back to what they do well. And I think the strengths of Rutgers that we've talked about on this podcast, I think they were on display Saturday, as you mentioned. It was, it was a good opportunity for them to kind of get back to what they do best. And, and they showed it Saturday and a little upset that no one picked up on my exercising the demons pun at the beginning demon deacons oh, get it um, i know i know it's the holidays our brains are elsewhere but uh look, it was the look, type of showing you wanted to see from Rutgers. coaches <laughs> coaches have a saying and it's i think it's truism it's it's not who you play it's when you play them and Rutgers week off came at the right time uh the week before Rutgers was coming off a game at ohio state a brutal loss and a one-day turnaround to seton hall who had been home all week so they're seeing some of these things here too that you got to consider when you step back and look at how results unfold over the course of a long season. You know, I think that this is a team too, and and you know, Caleb McConnell um, and Paul Mulcahy he talked a little bit about, especially Paul Mulcahy he talked after the game about kind of being a team that overcomes adversity, and I, I do think that, think that they take pride in that. And given what Mulcahy and O'Connell have been through with this program, it's something that I think they're trying to instill in the younger players that you can't, you can't will, you know, you have to kind of try and fight through some things that aren't going to go your way over the course of a long season. So, you know, we'll see how far that can carry Rutgers to the course of the year. But I, I do think that they, they're a team that takes pride in that. Yeah. When you have veterans who've been through the wars, who've been to the dance, who've, who've done, had huge wins, who've overcome, you know, rough stretches that helps. I mean, that's, that's a big part of keeping a team together, which I think has been Steve Peichel's biggest accomplishment. Like he's kept his guys there in a free market sport right now. And there's something to be said for that. Yeah. And looking ahead for the Scarlet Knights, they have Bucknell Friday, the 23rd. They have Coppin state December 30th. And then into the new year, they start things off really uh, right with a bang January 2nd at Purdue. Uh, certainly a difficult game for Rutgers. And that will kind of bring us to our next conversation because between Rutgers and Seton hall, Jerry, you as a top 25 voter, uh, a lot of opponents coming up on the schedule for these teams that uh, you have some decisions to make about uh, who gets ranked where. Well, today's ballot, uh, so this morning I had to vote, you know, I cast my ballot, and it's a tough call. There's, there's four unbeaten teams left in the country, but the two clearly at the top are Purdue 
and UConn, right? Big Ten team, Big East team, and it's very it's a very tough call. Like Rutgers is going to be seeing Purdue in a couple weeks. I think they'll probably still be number one. You know, Rutgers is going out there. We know what happened at, at Piscataway last season. Uh, I voted Purdue one. It's a close call, right? Purdue has more quality wins. You know, they've beaten more good teams. Uh, they've won them on a neutral court. I think three top top twenty teams ranked by Ken Palm Analytics. Uh, that Purdue has beaten UConn has beaten one. UConn has been kicking the tar out of its opponents, you know, which is really impressive. And they're good. I mean, I'm splitting hairs here, but you got to split hairs when you cast a ballot. You can't put two number ones. My big thing is trying to also respect the consensus. Purdue was number one. They they didn't lose. Uh, you have to, in order for UConn to leapfrog them, they'd have to have a really big time win. And winning at Butler by 20 is impressive, but, you know, Butler's down. And it's, that's not the type of win that vaults you from two to one over an unbeaten team. So so I have I have Purdue one. I think Purdue will be one when the poll comes out around when this, this podcast drops. Uh, UConn's two. And, look, big big games ahead for the local teams playing them, starting with Rutgers. Like I said, I think they will get a crack at the number one on January 2nd. Yeah, and then as for uh, Seton Hall, they won't see UConn until January 18th, a home game for them, a Wednesday night home game against the Connecticut Huskies. But in the meantime, UConn, as or as uh, Seton Hall, as we said, they went over Drexel and then a tough loss to Providence Saturday. Coming up, they go to Xavier on uh, tomorrow, Tuesday the 20th. They're at Marquette on the 27th as well. They have St. John's on the 34- 31st, and then they go to Creighton January 3rd. So that's the schedule ahead for Seton Hall, and from what you've seen from the Pirates, Jerry, uh, they lose that tough home game to open up the Big East play against Providence, and certainly not getting any easier as we wrap up 2022 for the Pirates. Right, I think that's why there's some consternation among folks around around the program is that, like the the realization that you know, their their next two games in the Big East are really hard, and they're going to be pretty significant underdogs. And if you open 0 and 3 in the Big East, you're you're in a huge hole. So they had the home game, they had the nine point halftime lead against Providence. They squandered the lead, and I give Providence credit. Providence came and took the game, and it was a good game. You know, in Providence, they have veteran players. They had a mismatch inside uh, with Seton Hall's size problem, which is going to just keep rearing its head. You know, Seton Hall got away with winning at Rutgers with Casey Nadefo. Casey's 6'7". He's probably like 6'5", okay? He's listed at 6'7". He's 215 pounds. They got away with him playing center at Rutgers, uh, they did a really good job of, of ball denial and, and pushing Rutgers, Cliff and the other Rutgers players off the spots. They couldn't do that against Providence. You know, Providence has two really good bigs. To Providence's credit, they did a better job of getting those guys the ball. Uh, Seton Hall has, you know, they have two two big guys, but Shaheen Holloway is rolling with the small lineup, and I think he's telling you what he thinks of how his, those big guys are playing inside. Like, he doesn't he doesn't trust them to defend the paint. In a big spot, it worked against Rutgers. It didn't work against Providence. You know, by a slight margin, they lost by four. They had an open three-pointer, Seton Hall, to tie with four seconds left. So these are the 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 game of inches, right, that unfolds in college basketball. So they lost a tough game. Uh, and like I said, I think either Holloway has to learn to trust his bigs more inside or his bigs have to play better inside defensively, probably a mix of both, right? And then – you're going to Xavier now, who scores 85 points a game, who has two really good bigs, one of which is Zach Fremantle, who's a local guy from uh, from Bergen Catholic. So this is a tough order. I mean, Seton Hall has beaten Xavier, I think, three or four times in a row out there. So they're going to have Xavier's attention. 
Uh, it's a really tough game for them to win, and they should. They're an underdog. They should be an underdog. But look, I've said this. I've said this for a week now. You go in and you win at Rutgers in that environment. You could go in and win in any environment. Okay, unless you're playing, you know, a superstar team. Maybe at UConn is is impossible. I don't know. But but you're going to Xavier. It's not going to be any harder than it was to win at Rutgers. I mean. They're, they're comparable in terms of the quality of the team. Xavier obviously plays much different. The matchups are different. But being in a hostile environment, Seton Hall shouldn't care about that. They won at Rutgers. It's not going to get any more hostile than that. So I the, could they win? Could they split the next two games? They really kind of got to get a split, Xavier and Marquette? I think they can. You know, you want to go over the matchups. It looks hard. Uh, but I think they can. I mean, like I said, this team has – they have the ability to play – Big time defense and to be physical and bully an opponent. So they got to make some shots. They haven't really done that. They've had decent looks. You know, they have a big time player in Kadari Richmond who, who played an exceptional game uh, against Providence, superstar caliber game. Like he's now clicking finally under Holloway. So that's a big plus. So you got a big time guard who's hitting stride under his new coach. You have a physical team that is capable of playing high level defense. You can win one of these two games, so but it's going to be hard, and you got to go do it. So Seton Hall, you know, again, these are the swings, the momentum swings, the pendulum swings of a season. Last week it was Rutgers turning a barrel. This week it's Seton Hall's turning a barrel, and let's see what they do. Yeah, three of their next four and four of their next six on the road for the Pirates, and as we said, at Xavier, at Marquette, home against St. John's, and then at Creighton to start 2023. So certainly kind of a, a measuring stick few weeks for this Pirates team as they head on the road. As you said, Jerry, they won at Rutgers. It doesn't get more hostile than that, but certainly a lot of tests coming up for this Pirates team as they try to navigate this Big East schedule. As for the mid-majors in the state of New Jersey, uh, Steve, uh, a week for Princeton, an interesting game at Iona. They lose at Kane, a neutral court game there against Iona, and then they come home and lose to Delaware. So two losses for uh, the Tigers this week, Mammoth with two losses as well. Uh, St. Peter's, they won two this week, Hartford and Quinnipiac. What did you see out of the mid-majors in New Jersey this week? Well, Jerry was at the Iona game, and he could probably put a little more perspective on that because that was a very unique situation, wasn't it, Jerry? It was, I would say it was It was bizarre. I mean, it was unique, bizarre, a little bit crazy to see a game at Kane University, where, by the way, I teach as an adjunct professor. I had a nice office, a short walk from the gym there. I mean, I know Kane is a site for the Union County Tournament in high school, and it's it's hosted some big high school games, but it was weird to see a Division One game there. Uh, Princeton really wanted the game. They have trouble getting games, as we've discussed. You know, Seton Hall and Rutgers won't play them. Uh, so I honest, you know, Rick Patino said, we'll play it, but we're, I'm picking the site. You know, Rick Patino gets what he wants. Right. So they wind up at Kane and Rick Patino afterwards is in a science lab amid the Bunsen burners and the, the, the chemical shower and the, the big sinks. Rick Patino's having a press conference in his science lab. What a world. Right. <laughs> but it was a great game. It was a really good game. Iona and Princeton are very good, and Iona closed the game well. They made their free throws. Princeton didn't. You know, Princeton had a chance to win and turn the ball over inside. So two good teams. I think we might see them in March, you know, on the big stage. I wouldn't worry about Princeton losing to Delaware. Delaware's good. You know, Steve knows. Steve follows that league. Delaware's pretty good. So we'll see what happens. For Princeton, it's about the Ivy League. But you got to play games like that to sharpen the iron. But it was was a unique setting. Like, that's what makes college basketball fun. 
it was the biggest mid-major game in the country played at Kane University. Like there is no equivalent in other sports and all other major American sports of that. So that was fun. Yeah, and to see that game, and, and by the way, Princeton turns around and they play Kane on December 23rd, Then they have Harvard looming on the 31st as well for them. Uh, as for Monmouth, though, Jerry, or uh, Steve, uh, another down week for the Hawks. They lose at Syracuse, and then they get blown out on their home floor to Charlotte. Uh, things certainly not getting easier, as we said last podcast, but that still holds true. They have Yale coming up on December 22nd, and then UNC Wilmington on the 28th. A, a tough spot here for the Hawks. Yeah, really, uh, the season so far has just been an epic failure in, in every way. I mean, they're 1-11. in 11. Their net right now is 356 out of 363 teams, right? They just they just played Charlotte, which has an any, uh, a net of 67 and beat them by 36 on their home court. That's the biggest loss at home since Villanova beat them by 40 in 2010 there. Um, you know, and as you said, Yale coming up, y- Yale's net is 45, right? So uh, they're not going to win that game. UNC Wilmington, they, their, their first CAA game is next week at home. UNC Wilmington, their net's 74. You know, so again, it, it gets no easier for Monmouth. Uh, they're among the worst teams in the country scoring, among the worst teams in the country in defense. And among the they, – they are next to last in three-point – field goal percentage and next to last in defense, I'm sorry, and field goal defense. So um, it it just has nothing going on right now. They have no experience. They're playing a a very tough lineup of of opponents, and uh, they they just can't get any traction right now. Steve, did did, I I realize Mama's getting in a conference play now, but did they overschedule? Should they have lined up some patsies? So they could get these young team confidence. Absolutely. So you, you, it's one thing. And listen, this is Coach King Rice's thing. We schedule hard. But if you're going to do that, you have to make sure you have some experienced guys. You have to go out and make sure you get an experienced guy, get a big time score. If you're going to do that, you can't put the kids he's got in the situation they're in. They have ten healthy guys. They've had ten healthy guys all season, right? Three of them are freshmen, two of them are sophomore, and one of them's a walk on. And they all play prominent roles. So, you know, how, how are you going to be, how are you going to be Yale? Right. I mean, we've seen Yale, they're really good. Um, so I, again, it, 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 it's too much. You, you have to, you, you have to have gotten some reinforcements in place. And if you weren't going to do that, you know, and listen, they, they had the dramas on campus, right. They, they were after Brian Antoine, they're after a bunch of guys, but they didn't get any, you know, so, um, it's a, it's a it's an unfortunate situation. You can't really blame the players. You know they they were put in a really tough spot here. You know at Virginia, at Illinois, at Seton Hall, at Syracuse. Um, you know, and even even the non high major games have been you know twenty four and twenty five win teams the last few years. So uh, you know, just too much. Sometimes when when coaches have had a lot of success, and King Wright has had a fair amount of success in his run at Monmouth. They, they're reluctant to, to change what's worked for them, right? King is scheduled up a lot, and it's worked for him a lot. But sometimes you have to play the deck that's dealt, the hand that's dealt. Yeah. And this is a case where, like, some adjustment was probably required. Yeah, I agree. And, yeah, I mean, listen, the only thing you can hope now is you you have to you have to see signs that these kids are starting to grow and improve, you know. And, and you know, listen, if it doesn't happen and you're stuck with, a you know, a 4-28 season – 
you know, you're going to have some decisions to make and, and, and listen, attracting, attracting transfer portal guys to a team that went four and 28, that's not easy either. So, uh, you know, it's a, it's a steep climb coming up for mom. I want to, I want to throw a bone to somebody. I want to, I want to highlight a St. Peter's player by the name of Isaiah Dasher. And, you know, Steve Peichel is always in my ear about, you know, you know, we write about who transfers and who the big transfers are. How about the guys who stay home? Let's, let's credit the tip our hat to the guys who stay home. So, all right, here we go. Isaiah Dasher, he stayed. There was a big exodus from St. Peter's after, you know, the coaching staff and seven players in the rotation left after their Elite Eight run. Isaiah Dasher, hometown guy, Jersey City, he stayed. You know what Isaiah Dasher did this week? He had 23 points against Hartford and 29 against Quinnipiac. Two wins for St. Peter's. Uh, a good league win there with Quinnipiac and also – uh, St. Peter's is down Jalen Murray, you know, another returning guy who stayed, who's injured. So good for Isaiah Dasher. You know, he's the eighth or ninth guy on last year's team. He stayed, and he gets rewarded with a big week, leads his team to a conference win. They go 2-0, and and he gets he gets a shout-out on the Jersey Jump Shot podcast. <laughs> well done, sir. Well done. Yeah, and the Peacocks, two wins, as you said, this week, Jerry. They're 6-5 and five now. Tough schedule coming up for them. Maryland, Manhattan, Iona, and Siena. That brings us to January 6th for them. But nice to see them climb back over 500. They're 6-5 and five on the year. They halted a three-game losing streak with that two-game winning streak this past week. So, so good for them. As you said, you know, they had a mass exodus after last year, trying to be the following act to, you know, making history that's never happened before in the NCAA tournament is no easy task for these young men. So nice to see them up to six and five on the season with a couple of uh, big games coming up for them. And Ryan, just a quick word on, on Ryder. You know, there's a good, I think they're playing Delaware tonight. Is that right? Or tomorrow? Delaware, I believe is on tap. Yeah. That's their next game. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a good test, you know, and, and uh, I think Ryder's got a lot of upside and again, and Steve, you've seen him, but again, Dwight Murray Jr. Another guy who I'm sure, he got. He had offers. He had lures to get him out of in the transfer portal to get him out of there. You know, Dwight Murray Jr. Uh, nineteen points. Uh, he's averaging nineteen points, five rebounds, and three assists a game. And when you have a big time player like that, you're going to be good. Mur- that Murray, Murray's going to be the MAC Player of the Year. I think. I think he is by far. You know, the the leader in that right now. And I mean, listen, he's the guy who knocked Ione out of the MAC tournament last year with that acrobatic shot. You know, he is a big time player and now he's, he's really being put in that role to be a scorer assist guy. And he, he really is taken to it. Ryder's going to be good. And I think that's one of the takeaways from what we see in the mid majors. You, we have a bunch of teams that are going to be competitive in their leagues. You know, I think FDU can be competitive in, in the NEC. And I think Ryder and St. Peter's can be competitive in the Mac, you know, can they get by Iona? I don't know, but I, I, I think they can, they can get some shots in this year. FDU opens Northeast conference play, I believe next week. Is it Merrimack? Yeah. I think next week FDU. So that'll be interesting to see what, and they've tested themselves. So that'll be interesting to see what they can do in the league. I think you're right, Steve. So that'll be, that'll be worth watching for us for, over the next few weeks. Yeah, Ryder, they have a gauntlet coming up, by the way, whereas a lot of teams, you know, towards the end of the year here, they'll schedule a game here and there and kind of get into league play at the start of the new year. As we said, Delaware the 19th tonight, Marist on Thursday, Georgia at Georgia the 28th. They come all the way from Georgia to Canisius in Buffalo on the 30th. Then on January 1st, they're at Niagara. And then the 6th, they have Quinnipiac and the 8th at Siena before they finally get a week off 
to prepare for Iona. So uh, a lot of games in a short period of time there for riders. So we'll have to see how they navigate that. But certainly a lot of opportunity for them as well. As we said, a talented young team, a chance to prove themselves in the next couple of weeks. And we'll see how that turns out for them. And as we said too, also just quickly before we wrap up, Team Hall women, they've won seven in a row. They play at UConn on Wednesday. UConn, they're ranked number nine right now. Seton Hall, they're nine and three. UConn, eight and two. If you're looking to watch that game, uh, you'll have to take an extended lunch break. They play at noon on Wednesday for whatever reason, but be sure to check that out as Seton Hall women, another measuring stick game for them as well as they look to go on the road and take down UConn. Uh, Programming note for us, we'll be back January 3rd. We're going to take a little holiday break as well. So January 3rd will be our next podcast. Of course, visit NorthJersey.com, APP.com, MyCentralJersey.com. Jerry, Steve, and Chris are reporting on all the teams that we just mentioned on this podcast, so be sure to check that out. And as I said, we're back January 3rd. Thank you so much for listening to Jersey Jump Shot. I hope everyone enjoys the holidays, and we'll be back in the new year to talk college hoops in the Garden State. Can't wait for that. We'll talk to you then. See you next time on Jersey Jump Shot. Happy hoop year, everybody. Jersey Jump Shot is a production of the Asbury Park Press and USA Today Network. Subscribe at app.com.